As Steve said, we're starting a new series, preaching series. We're coming back to Genesis a little bit later, but it's such a, a long book that we thought it best to break it up. So we're in a new series, in a one-anothering series. Um, I've kind of subtitled this, Come and See. Uh, it may not seem connected, but hopefully you'll see the connection uh, a little bit later. And um, in the New Testament, we find many, many um, statements with the words one another. And they're all about how we should behave in the family of God, how we should behave in the church. And we were singing the song, Jesus taught us how uh, to love one another and how to be a family and so on. And uh, the apostles carried on that theme. And there's plenty of instruction in the New Testament as how we should behave, how we should relate to one another uh, in the kingdom of God and in the family of God. Um, some examples would be, uh, be kind to one another, uh, welcome one another, live in harmony with one another, care for one another, serve one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, exalt one another, confess your sins to one another, uh, admonish one another, show hospitality and act humbly towards one another. But of course the one that we're found, we find most frequent in the New Testament is to love one another. And the Apostle Paul said it's love that binds all these things together. It's the, the overall expression uh, towards one another that binds all those things together. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those. Next week, uh, Steve's dealing with loving one another. And the following week, I shall be speaking on forgiving one another. And so we go on. So here's a question, really. Why is it necessary to be told, to be instructed, to be urged strongly um, to behave well in the kingdom of God or in the family uh, of God. Surely we're new creations. We're born again um, by the Spirit of God. We're, we're, we're new people. We're declared righteous um, in God's sight. And we have uh, God as our Heavenly Father. We have Jesus as our elder brother. We have the Holy Spirit who's our counselor and guide and gives us power uh, to change in, in our life. And we're told by the Apostle Peter that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So what's the problem? Uh, should we not know instinctively how to live, how to behave uh, in one another's presence? Shouldn't we know that uh, instinctively? Well, before we look at the theology, I think uh, it's fair to say that from our experience, um, living in harmony together doesn't come automatically, does it? Is that your experience in church? It doesn't always come automatically. We actually have to work at it. And why is this? Well, the Bible tells us that although we are flesh and blood, we are also spirit. Uh, we have an essential nature um, that is different from our flesh. The Bible talks about uh, flesh. And when we become Christians, it's our spirit, our essential nature that is born again, that's made new. Um, once we were alienated from God, um, and the Bible says we were by nature, that's our essential nature, we were enemies of God. We were subjects of wrath. That was our inner nature. 
But now we have a new nature that's been reconciled to God and now wants to please God. Inwardly, we want to please God. However, this new nature is still alive in our bodies. Our bodies are still alive, our flesh, which is what the Bible often calls it, which includes our minds. And this body has its passions, its drives, its lusts, its desires, and so on. And um, once we had little or no choice because our inner self, our essential nature, agreed with our flesh, largely went along with it. But now we have a choice, either to walk by the Spirit of God and his leading, or follow the desires of the flesh. We now have a distinct choice uh, because God is alive in our spirits. And this is an area of conflict that, to a greater or lesser extent, we are going to live with until Jesus comes again or we die and go to be with him. And uh, then at the resurrection, we'll receive new bodies that are free from pain and sickness, but also free from those temptations that often overcome us and be free from what the Bible calls the lusts of the flesh. Okay? But that includes a whole range of things, not just the things we think about as being lust. So in the meantime, much of our discipleship is about learning to let our spirits rule over our bodies, to rule over the flesh. That's often what discipleship's about. Jesus said to the disciples who fell asleep when he was praying, um, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? They were willing to do it, but their, their bodies wouldn't allow them to do it. And part of this discipleship is learning how to behave towards one another in the church. Because the ultimate purpose of being led by the Spirit is to glorify God. And whilst this should be true in every aspect of our lives, we are told, aren't we, that whatever we do in word or deed, that we should do it to the glory of God of God, whether that's in word or speech or whatever, we do it to the glory of God. Nevertheless, it's crucial that God is glorified in his church because we are his family. We are the body of Christ. And um, of all the things that may glorify him in his church, which may well be the worship, the preaching, the gospel, um, our service to the world, our times of prayer and so on, According to the Bible, the thing that glorifies him most is our unity. That being a diverse people, we come to a place of unity and that glorifies him most. Whilst there already is um, a unity of the Spirit, we, Paul says we've all drunk of the same Spirit. We're all of the same kind now. Right? We're in a family uh, so we, there is a unity that the Bible talks about, a unity of the Spirit. All right? And Paul says there is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Uh, but this needs to be true in experience and it needs to be true in our witness uh, to the world. We are to be, as Jesus said, a, a city set on a hill. I think the idea was that this city was a city that, that shone light into the, into the surrounding area. And as this city shines light, people are drawn to it. And if we are a city set on a hill and people are drawn by the light, then they're drawn to God, and that glorifies God. Uh, let's just take an example from 
a natural family. Uh, being born into a natural family or adopted by a natural family means that's where we belong. Uh, we are intrinsically part of that family no matter how badly we might behave, no matter how much we might misrepresent our parents. Um, hopefully they still love us and we still uh, belong there. But sadly our behaviour can bring our parents into disrepute. It reflects on them, doesn't it, if we as, as children behave badly. On the other hand, that, uh, living in harmony as a family, displaying the characteristics of our parents will bless them and cause those outside the family to say, well done, you've done a great job with these kids. They're a credit to you. And I believe that's how it is in the family of God. The way we behave reflects on our Father, our Heavenly Father. And we want him to be blessed and we want people to praise him because of how we live uh, in, the, in the church of God. Uh, this kind of brings me back to a, a, a reference to um, last Sunday's sermon when David was preaching from John chapter 14 and he drew our attention to Philip's question to Jesus, which was, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. You remember that last week? Um, and Jesus' response was to say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, the invisible God has become visible in Jesus. And we know from the beginning of John's Gospel, it's expressed in the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen the invisible God in the person of Jesus. Show me your God. Show me what God is like. And that's not an unreasonable question uh, for someone who wants evidence of the existence of the God that we say we believe in and the God that we worship. Show me your God. What's your God like? So how should we respond? Well, I think um, in accordance with what Jesus said, we're going to point them to Jesus as much as we're able we will point them to Jesus first of all. We might give them our testimony and we might say, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is how my life has been changed because I'm forgiven, I'm accepted uh, in, in, in Jesus. And then we might point them to the scriptures and particularly one of the gospels, maybe Mark's gospel, and say, read that and dare to pray a prayer and ask God to show himself to you as you read the scripture. And I believe many people have come to faith uh, because of that. Uh, and they'll see who Jesus truly is, the revelation of God. But how will they see God and be convinced, how else will they see God and be convinced that he is alive today, that he forgives sins, that he restores the sinner, that he unites people of different backgrounds and personalities and, and brings them into one family which becomes their primary identity from then on. Well, this comes to my first major point. There are just two major points, and that is God has provided a visual aid uh, to help people see these things, to actually see them, not just read about them or listen to us about them, but to actually see them. And that visual aid is called the church. We are God's visual aid. So when someone says to us, show us what God is like, 
Um, yes, we'll give our testimony. Yes, we'll point them to the scriptures. But we ought to be able to say, come and see. Come, and that was my subtitle, if you like. Come and see. Scary, isn't it? Isn't that scary to say to people, come and see? Because things are not always right in the church. Sometimes we can get a little embarrassed about what's going on in the church. But we ought to be able to say to them, come and see. This is what God is like. Something of the character of God is seen in his church. We've already had this scripture from Julie this morning, but I'm going to read it again. Um, from John 17, Jesus is praying and his disciples are present. It's the night before he is crucified. And he is praying to the Father about them and about those who will believe because of their testimony. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those uh, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We've not long celebrated Christmas, the incarnation, where we've had our carols and our, our nativity plays and all the rest of it, trying to convince the world um, that God sent his son into the world to be the saviour. But Jesus said, it's our unity that will convince the world that Father sent the son. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Christmas, don't get me wrong. But this is what Jesus said, it's our unity that will convince the world that God has sent his son. This is how much is at stake for us as the church. This is what's at stake. Okay. So does this mean that if we're not in perfect unity, if we don't live in perfect harmony with each other, that we provide no evidence that the son of God has come to be the saviour of the world? Have we got to be perfect? before that testimony is given to the world. Well, no, I don't believe it's the case, because quite clearly in the Bible, coming to unity is a process. It doesn't happen instantly, it is a process. And I believe God's grace is sufficient to cover that process. We're all at different stages in our growth to maturity and so on. So it's a process, and I believe it's a continuous process why? Because each one of us is a work in progress. None of us have arrived, have we? No matter how long we've been Christians, whether it's 50 years or, or, or 50 days or whatever, we're all a work in progress. God is still working on us. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and he told them that the risen Christ had given gifts to the church, which were men, they were ministries to the church, and he says this, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's a process it's a process. There are ministries to help us in that process. And the aim of that process is that as a church, and as churches, individual churches, local churches, we more and more will display the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's the aim. That's the aim. So people who are looking for God, and they look at the church, they'll never see perfection 
in the church. We know that, don't we? They'll never see perfection, but they should see, they should see a people who are in love with Jesus and they should see a people where the grace of God is at work in relationships. That the grace of God is at work in relationships. The fact that we may sin against one another is very regrettable and we should avoid it at all costs. But it's not all bad news. Actually, it's not all bad news. Because if we are quick to acknowledge our sin, and if we go to the person that we've hurt, uh, and we ask for forgiveness, and we receive forgiveness, and the relationship is restored, we have demonstrated the gospel. That is the gospel. It's, it's demonstrating what God has already done through us. We are that visual aid. And we can demonstrate that relationships can be restored. We should be quick to forgive because God has forgiven us and removed the barrier that existed between us and him. And this should be in stark contrast to what we see in the world, where often people will not admit their faults and their failings, won't admit that they're wrong, will not humble themselves and ask for forgiveness uh, from others, and will not seek forgiveness and will not forgive, and will hold grudges, and will want to retaliate. They will want revenge. And that's what all this conflict around the world is about isn't it? Tip for tat. You did this, so we're doing this. We're not going to let you get away with this, blah, 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 and so on. I know that's a simplistic overview of what's happening in the world, but that's what it is. People are not prepared to forgive and to, and to move on, are they? But, that, but that's exactly what the gospel demonstrates. So it's not that we don't have relationship problems in the church, but by God's grace, we deal with them to the glory of God. Okay? It, we deal with them to the glory. We shouldn't kind of turn our back and say, well, it doesn't, these don't exist. They do, but God has given us a way of dealing with them to his glory. Also, we should not give the impression that we are a perfect people and we've got it all together. This is because if we do, we might put off someone who might otherwise come to us looking for help, uh, who thinks very badly about themselves, thinks they're not worthy uh, to come to a place like the church, and, and they keep away because they don't feel they fit, they don't feel they can come among us. That's the last thing we want. And if we put on a, a front that says we've got it all together, and, and uh, you know, we're, we've, we're perfect, they will feel really bad about that and will not be welcomed. So somehow, right, without, as it were, washing our dirty linen in public, we need to be able to communicate that we are here by God's grace, we continue by God's grace, uh, and that they can experience God's grace as well. God has forgiven us and we experience his grace and they can know that grace as well. It's available to them. So then, the, the church is God's visual aid to people. And as well as being God's visual aid, it's also a discipleship workshop. When this word workshop um, was used some years ago, more or less for the first time, I used to think about benches and tools and things like that, because that's what workshops were to me, but they're a place to learn, they're a place to learn together, 
and experience things uh, together. And uh, I believe that the local church is the primary environment that God uses to transform, transform us into the likeness of his son. He does that throughout all our life, but I believe the church is the primary environment uh, where God, what the God uses to transform us into the likeness of his son, and it's all about character. God is interested in changing our character. Now, of course, being made like Jesus is a work of the Holy Spirit, and Paul tells us that there is fruit um, that is produced in our life as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that fruit is the likeness to Jesus. You know uh, what that ninefold fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, um, in talking to his disciples about the fact that he was the vine and they were the branches, we read in in John 15, he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus, that might mean a number of things, but it's certainly living in relationship with him. It's seeking to daily walk with him. But I think we can only truly abide in Jesus uh, if we are in relationship with other Christians in the body of Christ in the local church. We are his body, after all. And if we're going to live in relationship with Jesus, it does mean that we live in relationship uh, to his body. Uh, and I, I believe that you know, if we deliberately divorce ourselves from the church or keep the church at arm's length, um, that would be wrong. Um, we cannot fully abide in Jesus if we do that. Notice that even those branches that do not bear fruit, sorry, those branches that do bear fruit, the Father prunes so that they will be even more fruitful. This again speaks of a continuous process. There's a sprouting, there's a pruning, there's a growing, there's a sprouting, there's a pruning, there's a growing. It's a continuous process, this pruning process. And whilst God may prune us, if you like, um, outside the church in everyday activities, I do believe that very often it's in our relationships with other believers that God does his work. If we are fully involved in the church, then we will experience a pruning. And that will be to our pride and to our self-sufficiency, sometimes to our our sensitivities and maybe our reluctance to be a servant of all. This is a process that God is involved in, uh, in the church. Some call this process having the sharp edges knocked off. Anybody like having their sharp edges knocked off? Probably not. Okay. But it's like that. 
We all need some sharp edges being knocked off. Um, I said in my sermon a week or so before Christmas that entering fully into the life of the church, seeing ourselves as servants as Jesus was and being obedient as Jesus was uh, then, um, and also living out the gospel to a dying world will require sacrifice at times. Do you remember that I said that as well as Jesus being sacrificed on the cross. It was a sacrifice for him to lay aside his majesty, as we say, and become a human being and become a servant. Um, it, it was a sacrifice. Let me just remind you what Paul said. Because he's saying to them, you should have the same attitude as Jesus. You should be prepared to make sacrifices for the benefit of others. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. In other words, have this same attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus emptied himself and became nothing and we are exalted to be the same in our relationships in the church. In this day and age, um, we have the luxury of choosing which local church we'll attend. Okay? Uh, often, if we are um, moving to a new town, um, we'll have a look around the churches and we'll see those ones that suit us. Hopefully, we've got some criteria that we're using. We, we want to go to a place that honours the word of God, that preaches the gospel, uh, that there's worshipped in the spirit of God and, and other things about it. Um, but we have the opportunity... Uh, for a choice there. Um, also, we have the luxury that if things don't go too well in one local church, we can move to another one, can't we? Which was not the case in the early church. There was only one church, you were either in it or you were out of it. There wasn't a chance to go and um, find your preferences or um, get out of trouble, if you like, as it is uh, in some cases. Now, there may be legitimate reasons for changing church. They may be practical. Maybe that you don't drive anymore and um, you want to be able to walk there. That's quite reasonable. Maybe um, you're getting a lovely church, but it has no work for teenagers. You have a young family with teenagers and uh, you love your church, but you want to serve your teenagers. So you move to a church where they've got a lively youth group and you feel it's best for your teenagers. That's absolutely fine. But if we are moving church for personal relationship issues, and you know what I mean by that, okay, um, it may be possible that we will miss the grace of God in doing that, that we miss God's opportunity to grow more fruit in our lives and we will fail to demonstrate something to the world. We will fail to demonstrate that with God's help, 
we can overcome the things that divide people. We need to be able to demonstrate that. And how will we learn these one anotherings if we don't persevere in working at relationships? All right? When it gets a bit sticky, we'll withdraw. You know, and we'll learn nothing. And God loses the opportunity to grow more fruit in our lives. It, it's tough sometimes. It really is. But we need to understand what God is doing. That the church isn't perfect. We're not perfect. And we're not in a perfect church. But it's the workshop that God is using uh, to transform us. So if we don't persevere in working at relationships, um, we will not glorify God and demonstrate that the gospel of reconciliation works. All right? We have a gospel of re reconciliation, don't we? We say that you can be reconciled to God. And it, and it says, because you're reconciled to God, you have the potential to be reconciled to other people. All right? If we withdraw, we miss that opportunity to demonstrate that uh, to those who might be looking in. Now, I've, I've been a, I worked out, I've been a Christian for 55 years, and you're looking at me and saying, he can't be that old. <laughs> and I, I can honestly say that being part of the church, being part of the body of Christ, and I've always felt that one should be wholehearted and give yourself to it fully, um, I can say it's been the greatest fulfilment in my life uh, and the greatest joy. But I can also say um, that it's been the greatest challenge and it may have given me some of the greatest pain in my life as well. But I accept that because I'm a work in progress. Okay? And God hasn't finished with me yet, as you, I'm sure you all know and will subscribe to that view. God has not finished with me yet. Uh, and so, as well as being the greatest joy, it can be painful at times. But it, in a sense, it was painful for Jesus to come and live among us and give himself to us. Uh, it was painful for him, but it was worth it for all the joy that was set before him. All the joy that was set before him. So then, uh, we've looked at two aspects of the church. The, the church as God's visual aid. We, we live out the gospel and the world sees it. Even though we're imperfect, it doesn't matter. We still live out the gospel and the world sees it. Also, the church is a workshop uh, where God is able, as we live together, as we serve together, as we learn to love one another and all the other one anotherings, that God is able to transform us more into the likeness of Jesus. Let me finish with um, some words from Paul at the end of Romans 15, or no, not early in Romans 15, 5 to 7. He says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, for the glory of God. Father God, will you help us? Lord, we are weak. We need your grace more and more. Thank you. There's no limit to your grace. Thank you that you've said as, as, as sin increases, grace increases all the more. 
Thank you that your grace is available to us in the church so that we may live out uh, the gospel, that together we might more and more display the fullness of the stature of Christ so that the world may believe that you sent him. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, we're going to sing a song that we sang earlier.